bug me and so it just kind of clicked on me i'm like maybe i it's me maybe i'm thinking certain things that aren't really happening but my brain is wired uh, let's all breathe way. into the microphone oh jesus <laughs> Hey, welcome to Nice Recovery. This is Eric Calgill, Mr. Dr. Science. I'm sitting here with Brenda from NAMI Chicago. She is one of our uh, amazing people from this fabulous city. And we're going to hear her story today and talk a little bit about recovery and what that means to her. And uh, she's got a lot of cool things to say. So we're just going to start off with Brenda. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Eric. Thank you for sharing your space with me today. You're welcome. We had pancakes earlier, so I forced, and waffles and waffles. I forced <laughs> her to come here and, and record this and have pancakes and waffles, so it worked out really well for me. Um, so yeah, I really want to. I, I know we've talked before, and there's a really like unique story at the at the core that I love with you, and so I uh, maybe we can start from that. It really is up to you, but I know that you mentioned how you started your journey into uh, your recovery. Mm-hmm. So do you want to just tell us who you are and what happened? I mean, I'm going to let you kind of roll with what you want to say. And yeah. I'll ask you a few questions and just... No, no problem. Um, so I always li- I'd like to start with when I was 15 years old. It's kind of like the turning point for everything. Um, that 15-year-old girl, a uh, few years back, she you know, struggled with... Uh, with a lot of things that any probably 15-year-old would. I mean, going through puberty is not fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, high school, I had, I was, you know, going through cultural and learning who I was from every standpoint. Um, but what was more catching for me was just this, like, sadness. I called it the sadness I felt. And it was sadness that I always felt as even a kid. But, I mean, I didn't have books or google at the time to look it up and understand it i just kind of went through it i felt like i personally suffered a lot through this darkness um now as an adult i don't look at it as suffering through it i faced it and joined it and i made it part of my journey which i call it my superpower as a superhero um when I, i i still remember the day I was this 15-year-old girl. I had just come home from school. I don't remember anything particularly happening that day. And this memory I have may be like a collection of multiple events that have occurred. But I came home and I was in between, on the floor between my bed and my window. I had this thing about the window. I always looked out the window in the sadness. And I still do that to mm. this day. Um, but I was sitting on the floor crying and it was just this intense crying. There was nothing, like I said, specific that I was crying about. No one hit me. No one said anything mean. I just felt this intensity. And since it always happened, I my the way my brain works is like I wanted to know why. I'm like, why is this happening? And now, you know, through various therapy sessions, um, I've learned the phrase, feelings aren't facts. And now that makes so much sense. Mm. Because when I was... 15 I felt a certain way and I felt like I had to find the facts that matched it but I couldn't find the evidence I couldn't find it and it really bugged me and so it just kind of clicked on me I'm like maybe I it's me maybe I'm thinking certain things that aren't really happening but my brain is wired a certain way 
And I, again, I had no education on like psychology or anything mm. of that, but maybe stuff I saw on TV. And I remember I walked up to my kitchen and my mom was in the kitchen. Uh, she was either prepping dinner or washing dishes. She was like on the counter. And I sat at the table and I'm like, hey mom, how does the insurance work for like, you know, a therapist? And there was a pause. She kind of just turned around. She's like, well, I don't know. We'd have to ask your dad. My dad was the uh, one who worked. And so the insurance was through the, his employer. And I'm just like, okay. I'm like, well, can you ask? And she's like, why? I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, there's just the way I'm thinking, the, these thoughts that I have, the way I feel, it doesn't make sense. And it really bothers me. And I want to figure it out. Like it, it almost felt like something inside my chest just that I needed to like cut open and take out. Um, she didn't quite understand it, but she knew I was serious. Hmm. So she's like, okay, I'll ask him. And that was the end of that conversation. Fast forward somehow, we found out who, I don't know, who uh, our therapist was through the insurance, that, that, that. We went. Um, and I remember sitting in that office, and I guess they do like an evaluation. And I just remember her asking me questions. And I just sat there like if I was in classes talking and answering her questions. And then she looked at me, she's like, you know, She's like, you know, you haven't suffered from any traumatic experience per se. She's like, but from what you're telling me, it looks like it could be a, you, you suffer from chronic depression. And when she gave me that, it, honestly, I felt like this weight came off. Mm. She labeled it. Mm. There was a name to it. I was like, it's not me. There's something. There's something that I have that we can take care of. Like, give me the pill. Give me something. I just, mm. It just felt great. Um, but that only lasted so long. Because at the same time, I started connecting it as I started going to the library and like researching it. I was like, oh, mental illness, like all that started clicking. And I'm like, those aren't words that people talk about. Those are definitely not words that we talk about at home. Feelings, emotions, it's stuff that we shut down. So I was like, oh, there's something wrong with me. So it, it kind of it went back and forth, back and forth. But I don't know, I think my type of personality is when I catch onto something, I'm like, how do we prevent and how do I get better? Just like with a skill or a sport, I'm like, how do I get better? Yeah. Were you always like that as a child and as a grown up? <sighs> I, I mean, I Curiosity? Think, I think so. But I think it started more from that point hmm. because that was such a big thing that maybe I paid attention to it before, and I never paid attention to it before. I, I Honestly, I can't tell you yes or no. Well, um, what here's what's interesting to me is you would normally hear, oh, I broke up with my boyfriend or somebody made fun of me at school. And you mentioned that, uh, I mean, that might have happened at some point, but it, at this, you could not even indicate uh, this had happened or that caused it. You just felt something yeah, I that mean, you knew wasn't right. I mean, I, I could tell you even a story when I was about, I think I was in second grade. So what you're what, like seven, I think. And right now, you just click when you mention <laughs> break up with the boy. I didn't break up with anyone, but I had a crush. And I remember my friend told him, and nothing even happened out of that. Like, he didn't say, ew. I mean, it was just, I was just <laughs> mad at my friend that she told him. Yeah. But I automatically went in this dwindle. Like, mm. I spiraled mm. because I think I just went neg negative thoughts mm. for some reason. Um, and I recall myself, this time, uh, I was sitting, like, on the floor leaning against my bed with my knees up. And crying, and that mm. was just the sadness I felt. Just felt different. And even though I didn't know what the differences were as a kid, yeah, it just felt really heavy. I'm like, 
I shouldn't be feeling this sadness. Even at that age? Well, at that, that age, I didn't think that. Okay. At that age, I just felt it and thought, man, my life's just like this. Good. So. Yeah. But. I think that's the challenge for a lot of people is, in, is, is that I know in my own journey as well, I didn't think that was different from other people. And yet I started to get that impression that, you know, as you go over in school, first grade, second grade, and then, then junior high especially, you start to judge yourself according to other people. Like, oh, I seem to be mm-hmm. more upset about this than Tony. Or, you know, so then I started, you know, you start that. So did that ever, did that become part of your journey? Is like, did you ever say to yourself, because I didn't hear that. I didn't hear you say, uh, I felt like, did you feel freakish or different because of those feelings? Or did you just have a curiosity and, and a desire to get them out? Yeah, I never felt like, like you said, freakish or anything mm. like that. No, I just mm. felt like there was something I needed to get out. There was something that didn't belong there. Yeah. It wasn't, it felt like the real me was there, but this was on top of it. And it wasn't letting me come out. Yeah. I kept blocking it. I kept fighting it. So, um... What did you do, and and what was the process when you're 15 years old and you tell your parents? Uh, I, I'm imagining it didn't, uh, like you said, your mom was more confused, surprised. She, I think it was surprised. Um, I mean, and, eventually questions came up, but like I said, it, it, we just didn't talk about. Not, I wouldn't say we didn't talk about mental health. We just didn't talk about emotions. Mm. We weren't, in my opinion, we weren't in a very emotional freely speaking mm-hmm. environment so we just didn't mm-hmm. um it kind of was just like okay well we need to take her um so they would they would take me i couldn't drive myself they'd take me they'd wait i'd come out and it was just like a routine like just don't you know doing it um what well, it started that way they got me on medication and i was feeling better but it was short-lived um because eventually it got to a point where, I mean, I, I do, in retrospect, I think about it, it was difficult on my parents. Um, my dad would come from work. He, you know, he's tired. He worked all day, was hungry, and he'd had to take me. And for some reason, our, the therapist was not close. It was like a good maybe 30 minutes in traffic. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, heavy. So he was just like, you're not done yet? Like, you're not good? And But to me at that time, when I was 15, like right now I understand it, but... Or I understand his non-understanding, but when I was 15, I was like, what? I'm like, well, I'm, in my head, I'm like, I'm not, but I can be. Mm. And so I shut it down and stopped mm. going. So what was, I mean, I know uh, sometimes with culture, whatever you, your family background is can, can play a big part of that. Talk a little bit about that. Um, I mean, well, at the time, like I said, I didn't understand it. It was years later when I was able to take back myself back to therapy. It's when my therapist kind of talked me through that. Because I went through years of being mad. I was mad that we didn't talk about these things. and I, But I didn't know why. I just thought, like, man, they, are, they don't care. Um, she was the one that opened that door to the cultural part. She's like, tell me more about your family. So, you know, I broke it down. Like, my parents were in Mexico born and raised there they came here kind of like the very common story that you hear they come here to work like my dad came when he was 20 came to work ended up getting married now he's been here his whole life mm-hmm. same with my mom came with her family from mexico and, and lived here the rest of her life um so she was breaking it down she's like well how was their living with their family and any talks with about mm. mental health or any of that i'm like <laughs> 
I don't think any of that existed. I'm like, I genuinely think that just was a no. It, that word, anything just didn't exist. So it made me understand a little better. She's like, how do you expect someone who didn't grow up that way be able to just jump in and be like, oh, okay, you know, my daughter is going through this, that, that, that. Okay, all good. So that that anger that I had no longer existed. It opened the door of understanding um, and that they were trying whichever way they could, if they could at all. Um, to this day, I mean, my mother passed away a year ago, but we had a conversation about mental health till the very end. Hmm. And only until the end did she actually, I think, have a better grasp of her own mental health that now even more, I'm a stronger advocate about it. Cause I'm like, in, I, I learned that in our culture, just in our family alone, we don't talk about it and I refuse to wait till it's too late. My mom, I'm not saying, I mean, I can't speak on my mom's behalf, obviously, but I feel like things could have been smoother all around if we had a better understanding of our own mental health and then of our mental health as a family and all those around you. Cause it, it goes, it's whatever you carry, hmm. it radiates to the next, to the next, to the next. And yeah. that's, that's how the relationships build or better healthy relationships. Nice. So I'm hearing this great, um, at the end of your mother's life, you had some really great discussions about um, mental health. I mean, I'm more. Tell me a little about what did you discover? What did she discover? What would, what did you take away from that? I mean, our conversations um, on mental health started obviously uh, with me and my curiosity of like, well, where did it come from? Because um, I was learning. You know, it was. It's not, it's not genetic. It's hereditary, or it can be. And so I started digging and I started asking questions. And even though I didn't get many answers, or at least in many direct answers, more of like, I just assumed certain things. We just started talking more of, uh, you know, she's, she tried learning a little bit more about what I was going through. Um, but it was still very hard to, for her to grasp it. Um, and, and at one point it felt like it was only me who suffered or well, I don't like using the word suffered but only me who went through this challenge with mental health um so I just was very stubborn I I'm whatever I learned I shared with her so conversations just molded depending when I would visit her it was if a situation happened somehow I brought it in like I connected the two um as we got older um it's funny. It's, it's actually funny talking about it because I'm trying to keep my mother's privacy also intact mm. with mm -hmm. the because the conversations were really good, mm. but those were my conversations with my mm -hmm. mom. But I felt like she was able to grasp a little more information, not just on understanding what I was going through, but possibly connecting some dots of maybe what she at one point felt mm. in her life back when she was younger to present to or to more current to like the I think in the right before she passed away I don't know I feel like 
people start connecting dots just generally because mm. I saw the expressions on their face and they felt like things were going in her head. And I was really hoping that some of those conversations that we had, she found some clarity and connecting dots of whatever we shared. I personally, I can't even tell you what dots she connected. I, in my heart, I feel like I know which dots she connected that there was more we could have done. There was more she could have done for me but more importantly, I think more she could have done for herself. But at that point, it was like, you can't, she couldn't. And, and that, what, to me, was powerful because I'm like, why can't, like, I want to, that's why I love sharing the story because I'm like, I want people to hear this so they could start connecting their own dots because mm. everybody's dots are very different. Mm. And they're very private if you want, it, it's whatever you want with them. But catching those things before it gets to a point where, not that it's too late, I don't, but where it gets harder. Why does it get harder? So I think I've been very fortunate that I, I was able to grasp some of those dots and connect them and then address them and move forward. But there's times where I look back and I'm like, man, maybe high school could have been a lot easier on some aspects. Mm. Um, I'll give you a quick example, something maybe very basic for someone, but something that was actually sometimes still kind of hurtful for me. When people like talk about their prom and reminisce, and I just sit there quietly because I never went to prom. Mm. I never had the opportunity to say prom sucked because that's mm. always the story I heard. Mm. Prom, you, they always tell me like, oh, you didn't miss on nothing. I'm like, but wouldn't it be nice for me to have experienced that mm -hmm. it sucked? <laughs> right. But I was just going through so many other things in my life that I didn't have that experience. I'm like, I wanted those little sucky experience. Mm. Like I'd rather go through those sucky ones than like the sucky ones that I went through. Mm. Um, and there was just times I, I didn't address things. I let them ride because I thought they were part of my life and normal, that that's just what belonged to me. And instead of addressing them, I just let it get bad. And yeah. I appreciate you sharing that and being vulnerable to say that. Because what I'm hearing you say is, yes, I identified it. Yes, it felt so good at 15 to kind of get that uh, identified and off your chest. But I'm also hearing you say that that didn't mean it, it solved problems. No, I mean, even to this day. Mm. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll leave how many years later from 15 <laughs> out of here, but um, it's, you know, been a long journey, and I've, and I've accomplished a lot. I'm very proud of everything that I've done and everything that I've addressed, faced, and conquered, but it still sucks. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I tell people still to this day, I'm like, I don't have the answers to solve depression or any of those dark places that you go through. I've just learned what works for me to, when I'm in it, mm. to get out of it. But sometimes I get in it and I last for a while. Mm. Uh, sometimes I do lose that hope. Will I actually get out of this one this time? Mm. And knock on wood, thank God I have always. But it, there's always that little you know, thought mm. in your head. Like, How about if right. this time... Yeah. It's just because you honestly, I find that you just get exhausted. Like there's a quote that says like you can, you know, you're strong, but you get tired. You want to sit down. And you know what? I want to sit down. <laughs> I want someone else to carry that burden for me. But I right. mean, it's, it's up to me somewhat. I think the more we more we learn about uh, our own mental health and everyone else's, because I think we need to be aware of everyone we do kind of carry each other's burden a little bit. We share that weight. Right now, I feel like it's still in, a, in balance. Mm. Um, 
but and some of us are better at carrying it than others tell me some of the specifics that you do what do you do that you can feel comfortable sharing and in, in as in coping or yeah like when you are in that place and you you do feel because I, I i'm very um there is that similar feeling i get when it's like almost like uh you're getting you're feeling drowned like i'm gonna drown like a panic like i'll never get out of this or, or my, my whole life's gonna be like this and that's that's very specific and particular to those of us who struggle with uh yeah. especially mood disorder but it can be any you know, psychiatric disorder or uh diagnosis so i re i totally identify with that even though in my mind i know i've made it through before i can know how to do this but still that doesn't make it happen you still it's almost like you know you've broken your leg but just knowing it having it set doesn't mean it's not going to hurt right i mean you know no yeah i mean <laughs> i'm laughing not because it's funny but i guess because I can laugh because it's about me. Mm. Um, I could think of the times where I have sunk in that hole. I, tend, I, I picture myself always on the couch. Um, I'm the type of person that lets the feeling be felt. Mm. Um, I feel like if I get numb to it, I'm not addressing it. So I, I indulge in it. I dive right. So now I feel like I actually dive into that hole on purpose. Mm. Really sit in it. Make me feel comfortable with it. And then get out. But you're right. It's not always. Sometimes that whole that that get up there to get out. It's a little longer and further away. Um, I always said it was pride that got me out, but I think it's pride in the sense of I think back to the things I have accomplished that I have been proud of, and tell myself that's who you are, and that's what the world needs to see. That's what the what I want the world to see. The the person who's done all these badass things. Mm not the person on the couch. Mm. But I give myself that grace to sit on that couch, to feel it, let it ride out as long as it takes. And then when I do feel like it sometimes takes a little longer, I'm like, just stand up. Literally just stand up, walk to the kitchen, go pet your dog, go take her for a walk, just do something physical. And then that just kind of creates the next steps. Why do you think that is? I don't know 100%. Um, I mean, I think being physically active does release mm. certain hormones that mm. I, I do believe. But I think I'll give you a quick story. There was one time, and it was not that long ago, I was sitting on my couch feeling sorry for myself. I don't know what happened. I was just like dwindling. And I didn't tell myself, for your coping mechanisms, Brenda, go walk your dog. Because that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. But I had to walk my dog. She's staring at me like, bro, I got to pee. <laughs> I was like, all right. I'm all mad. I have this face. Mm -hmm. I'm like, womp, 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 walking her. But random neighbor who just, I mean, my dog is cute. She is. And she's like, oh, my God, your dog. And so I just let myself be open to the conversation, even if it was just about my dog. Maybe five sentences were exchanged. Mm -hmm. But being connected to someone else outside that hole brought me out. I don't know what it was. Maybe just feeling whole again or feeling part of society i don't know I, I wish i had that answer but something as simple as that now i'm like every time i'm in that i'm thinking i am just gonna go outside mm. if it's just to wave at a neighbor or someone smile from their car i'll smile but just whatever it is it just made me feel connected that's the and word. better 
I was thinking of that word. It, you know, it's uh, it's a connection in, in two ways. So you're disconnecting from your mind, and those thoughts continue, and then you're connecting with something that is taking that train off the tracks, that cycle or that groove. So I've heard that from other people. That in that it, it's not one specific thing. It's like when you say just getting outside. Because once you take that step, you never know. Maybe I'll have a conversation with the neighbor. Maybe I'll run into an old friend or just dropping a book off at the library. Sometimes I've met mm -hmm. people, the librarian will have a conversation, and it boosts me. And it, I, you never know. So I love the idea of disconnecting so that you can connect. And yeah. just getting out of the house, in COVID especially, was a real challenge. A, a lot of us struggled with the racing minds and the thoughts because we literally had to stay in the house and that was especially difficult for me yeah it's interesting that in the beginning with me and COVID I loved it I was like <laughs> I don't have to talk right. to anyone but it, yeah. only, it only lasted like maybe three weeks okay then I'm like I need people <laughs> How, what did you come to, to what, why what, what was that oh I, I noticed I was going straight down oh, okay because I went from I was being super productive I was training my dog mm. I was doing yoga meditate I was doing a bunch of different things on mm. my own terms because I was no longer working at the time all our barbershops had closed down and after the non-structure like I got that fill all like it just went like that I just dropped to like I have no purpose. I'm not productive in society. Mm. I felt like, well, why am I here? Yes. And and that's actually, I just went online. I saw someone post about volunteering. And I'm like, if I just go once, because I know I have to be up at this time and show up at this time, I just have to go once. And two years later, well, actually, I, I don't volunteer as I regularly as I was, but I still help out in one way or another if I can. So I'm still part of that. So now those are things I keep adding to my toolbox. Like, remember, Brenda, when you just did one thing and it led to, like, I mean, that volunteer position actually led to a whole lot of stuff. Did like, it. If anything, I could say it led me even to NAMI. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, now I'm like, those are the things I keep, need to keep remembering that I, if you just do one thing, you just don't, like you said, you just don't know what it's going to lead to. It yeah. may lead to nothing. It may just lead you going around the corner and back, and that's okay. Sometimes it yeah. does. Sometimes it leads to something negative. Yeah. But it's life. True. And, and I appreciate that that uh, insight because I think that's, in my work, you know, it's being a peer. Somebody who struggles with their depression and, and addictions and, you know, has had a lot of help from resources and stuff. I just, it's, it's a daily thing. We manage it. And I, I have noticed in support groups over the years that the people who seem to be able to have a handle on balancing and managing are the ones who take risks. And I thought, I have got to take more risks. Because my mind, when it was stuck in the in COVID, I mean, COVID was really like uh, a microcosm of my whole life story of isolating for fear or rejection, for not feeling positive about myself, all the different things that, that we can do. It was happening again in COVID. And this time, it was a forced isolation, so it felt twice as bad. Mm. When you said you took like three weeks and then you realized you're going down. So um, this is something that's a pattern with you. This this neat call for action is so vital, and that's the one thing you can't teach people. And that's why I'm so glad you're telling your story, because when I hear it from you, and over the years I've heard it enough from people, that inspires me. And that makes me think, 
I don't know exactly because a lot of times I want specific answers from a therapist or my psychiatrist and they just go well some people do this some do that yeah I mean it's like I said it's different for everyone you have to customize it to yourself uh-huh. but it is kind of like you said taking risks like well in order to find out what works for you you just got to try it and and you you brought up a story for me about the risk because uh back in 06 I went to I I can't remember the name of the island at the moment but I went with my sister we were gonna go she's like I'm going on a scuba diving trip do you want to go and at the time I was just like sure I said yes to everything Mm. and then I looked up what scuba diving was (laughs) what is scuba diving I mean you're pretty much in this whole like (laughs) drowning with tanks on your back and you're breathing through a regulator I mean, it looked cool in the pictures, sure. but the, I recall that the, the week before I left, um, oh my God, I can't think of his name right now, but he he was killed by a stingray. Oh my gosh, Steve um, Irwin. Yes. Ay. And I was like, oh, I'm not going. Oh, <laughs> but I went, you know, it was all planned. But the moment I remembered that clicked with the whole risk and my dark moments was, so we have all our gear on, and they're warning us it's going to sound weird when you're breathing through the regulator. It's going to be weird that you're underwater and you're breathing. Like, it's a lot to get used to. It's mm. a whole different environment. So, you know, we go down into the water. It's shallow, and we're just getting used to the sounds and the motions. And I couldn't. I started panicking. I was just like, this is just weird. I can't. I felt, like, maybe claustrophobic or something. I'm not mm. sure. Yeah. I popped up. I kept going in and out, and so the instructor was like, "Until you feel comfortable, come down." So I, they're doing, they're underwater doing their thing, and I'm above, and I'm just looking at this ocean, and nothing else around, and I'm like, "I can't do this." But I kept reminding myself, "I'm like, Brenda, you've been through worse." And the worst that I was thinking was that darkness, my depression, all those dark moments. Mm. I'm like. Somehow you got out of it, and look at where you're at right now. It's this gorgeous island. How the hell are you not going to go down there and do this dive? Mm-hmm. So I took a few deep breaths, and I went, and oh, my God, it was the best thing ever. I made stories about the fish just to kind of ease my panic. I'm like, just keep your mind concentrated on making little stories so you could breathe in and breathe out because I didn't want to run out of oxygen. <laughs> but it was like, I, I won't say that scuba diving is a coping mechanism, but it was like, Sometimes you just got to dive in literally Mm. and figure what works for you. And like I mentioned earlier, I use it as my superpower. I don't suffer from depression. Everything that I've been through, I use it now as a power. I'm like, remember that moment? You did it. You conquered. And what else did you do? All right, let's keep going. Wow. (laughs) That, you know, so there's so much just in that story in that you, number one, you decided to go. You didn't know how to scuba dive. And when you got there, like all, like a lot of us do, when we get to a new place or a new experience, sometimes, I know in my particular case, I would then uh, hide or avoid or numb myself because it was too much. And you had that moment, and then you thought about it, you stepped back, you thought about what this was, where you are at this point, and it took you, and the, and the, and the this is what I love, is the diving instructor was very kind with you, like, you know, they teach social workers too, to be like, you know what? When you're ready, you come. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you did. You yeah. had to figure it out for yourself. And that's the part I, I love about your story that I hope that people are hearing is that the only answer is, it's, is, is inside you. You just have to unlock it. And you somehow figured out how to unlock it from a young age. And it's a, and it's a, a great example of 
you're still unlocking it. I know you told me, tell me a little bit about the, uh, you're smiling. What am I going to say? <laughs> I don't know. The dance class. Oh. oh. This, she shows me the video and I'm like, that looks awesome. <laughs> oh my God. So this, it, it started with one dance class, uh, January, February, I did three and now I'm signed up for four mm. classes a week. Yeah, a week. For March. <laughs> Jesus. Um, it started out with me just trying to get out. Uh, so it, this is, I'm on year two after my mom passed away. So it's, I'm finally trying to grasp my life back. Hmm. Um, there was a lot of, you know, while taking care of her and, and grieving her and I'm still grieving, but now in a different way. And I was like, you know, I'm going to take a dance class just to kind of have a schedule that at this time I have to be out. I took the dance class and yeah i met people and it was fun but i'm like i want more so i I kept signing up and as i went through these dance classes my original thought of just going out to do something structured and meeting people it's still there but i've learned so much more from it um the learning to connect with myself and connecting with others in a nonverbal way i took specifically um it's called bachata it's a very sensual dance and they break it down in different classes where you have to learn to really be loose and fluid with your body. And just, it's called, I mean, they're, they're called sensual body isolation. So you have to move in certain ways that you normally really wouldn't. Mm. But you have to really connect with yourself to make your body just move that way. And then you have to learn to connect that with a partner. And they you switch around. So I'm like, wow. First of all, I'm learning who I can and can't dance with. I'm like, we're not connecting. <laughs> we are dance. not. Then you know, it's not even that they could, but we just weren't connecting. Mm. He was so connecting only with uh, himself. Interesting. And not and forgetting that I was there. I'm like, I follow you, yes, but you need to learn to lead me, and I uh, need to learn to follow it's good you. Good advice, period. Yeah. So I'm like, this is more than just dance. I mean, mm-hmm. it's fun. It's good exercise. But I'm like, wow, I am learning so much about connecting with people and how. Like, when when we switch, I have to be like, okay, I know how this person moves. And then when they switch, I'm like, I have to constantly adjust and meeting that person where they're at. And then we can move together. Mm. It's And it connects for other things in my life. Tell us how. Well, connecting for relationships. I mean, especially, like, there's so much that goes with grieving. And I always say, I'm like, I've never lost anyone major besides my mom. Mm. And I... I never knew how that was going to go. And so many things get flipped upside down. It's not you just lo- lose your mom. You sometimes lose connection with family, friendships, your expectations of how they're supposed to be with you while you're grieving and all that. It's I was in a bubble, and I feel like I'm just now learning, oh, so-and-so, I had expectations to be a certain way with me, but they could only give me what they could give me. Now I'm learning. I'm like, I appreciate what they're giving me now. I didn't. I hated them a year ago. Where I'm like, you're, I'm mad at you. You weren't there for me. Mm. When I look back, I'm like, they were. It's just maybe I didn't know how to connect how I needed it. Or I didn't know how to connect with how they were connecting with me. Because mm. it's not always verbal. It would be actions that they would do. Mm-hmm. But I just wasn't connecting. I was blind to it. So, I mean, I'm hearing this uh, continual journey of growth for you that you're actively engaged in and, like, really searching out. So life seems to be an adventure. It is. Um, 
I always say every stage has a different growth phase. Mm. Um, and the more it hurts, I always say the better that growth is going to be. Ooh. That's another the way I look at it now, too. Mm. Like, I mean, it kind of sucks that it hurts, but it's like when you're training for something, like people who train for marathons. Ah. I used to train for half marathons, which aren't as intense as a full one, but it's still, <laughs> still 13 miles. Good and Lord. when you're running, I mean, something always hurts. Mm. Um, something's always tight. But for me, I find gratification because it's telling me I'm working towards something. And when I accomplish it, I, all that work was for that moment. So when I'm going through like some sort of pain, it takes me a while to get there. But I'm like, oh, my God, this intensity means that that growth, whatever I'm learning from this, is just going to be that much bigger. And sometimes that alone keeps me going. Yeah. Well, I want to uh, take a quick break, but I, I really... Um appreciate the way you kind of highlighted that it, may, it it would be easy for you to say since i was 15 and you know i discovered this and it uh, uh, you know it, it didn't answer the, all the questions there wasn't a rainbow that appeared that you walked on and rode with a unicorn over <laughs> you had the you continue to have challenges and in in life we have parents die mother die brother um relationships and jobs and i mean there's grief uh, many different varieties of grief and uh, the fact that it was your mother and you said the biggest that you've ever experienced um, and that you've and, and I, as I look at you now and hear you talk about the dance class and uh, you know what it's brought you and this adventure and this stage of growth I'm, I'm thinking and what I want to talk a little bit about when we get back is how do you take how do you switch your perception because that's the biggest, the hardest thing is for us, those of us struggling with a mood disorder, say depression or whatever it might be. Uh, how do we get excited about life when we just like wake up and have no excitement? So I don't want you to answer now. I want you to think about what, why did you, how do you find that in yourself? And, and because at times you say, sometimes your dark place is the couch. What is it that has gotten you up off that couch? And I'll maybe share mine too, but uh, we'll come to that in a second. Brenda, yes. we're moving into the last 10, 15 minutes of the podcast. So I got a couple. I want to finish out because this is an amazing, this journey so far has been really fascinating to see where, you're, where you've been. Uh, and, and I want to hear where you're at now. And I want you to give us a little indication of some of the challenges you still have. And just kind of uh, bring this uh, part of the podcast to a conclusion. Then I'm going to do the nine quick rounds. I'm going to ask you nine questions with very short answers. And you haven't seen these questions, correct? <laughs> nope. All right. And then uh, at the very end, uh, we're going to stop the podcast. You and I are going to sit down and write a song about what this podcast was about. And then we'll put it on there. All right. All right. So let's talk a little bit about this, this idea of we kind of were talking about family and relationships and building them and the challenges. Uh, tell me a little bit about where you're at now with relationships, family, so forth. It's um, a good question. Um, that's what I'm trying to figure out where I'm at, mm. <laughs> to be honest with mm -hmm. you. Like mentioning after my mom, just things get a little thrown. Um, but overall, just like with what we're talking about, like mental health, uh, I'm become more passionate about it because i see the the need that it is just within 
my experiences, I feel like mental health, me and my family, it's been more like, oh, Brenda's journey with mental health. And the way I see it is it's not just my journey. It's everyone that surrounds me is part of my journey, Mm. how they contribute, how they could support. Um, Not saying it wasn't supported. It just... the words mental health whether English or in Spanish um, were just not used it wasn't something that we used at all like if you were to ask me how did you guys talk about it we just didn't Mm. (laughs) and I think that was a problem and even though I did previously say you know me and my mom had deep conversations about it but it was about my mental health Um, I see so which I appreciated and I would try to push as much of like it's all of our you know all it's like physical health mental health there's no big difference to me but it just always kind of catered to like brenda's mental health uh, um do they kind of use that against you or does it wasn't that they used it against me per se it was i think because culturally it's such a big taboo like we all know of mental health is a stigma just in general mm. but i feel like we that that's a barrier and then there's a cultural taboo of it we th- my parents just not grew up with facing certain emotions um especially like if you were a man you manned up or you just dealt with it like be strong stop being a, a, a chillon which in in uh, i don't know <laughs> if you've heard but like it's like a crybaby hey um, one more time chillon chillon that should be the name of the song <laughs> <laughs> i'm such a chillon um, <laughs> There is a lot of span, you know, songs that right, do with that. So, right. but um, again, it's just I felt like I was the only one talking about it, and if it was talked about amongst other people, it was in regards to me and oh, how man. it ca- and how it was brought up. Mm. Like it, sometimes in a good way, like well, you know, you bring up good points, but it was like because of me. And I always said, I'm like, I'm the only one that came out of the closet per se, mm. and I'm not putting people out there saying like, well, everyone else in my family suffers. I can only speak for myself. Right. But from experience, I'm like, but mental health goes from so many different levels. You don't have to have an actual labeled condition. Mm. It could just be like, are there healthy relationships? So it was very hard to, I think, have healthy relationships in my family, um, for me at least. And again, with now my mom gone, that kind of, it's either it breaks it or it betters it. And I heard mm. this, I think, on the radio yesterday. said, when someone passes, it either fortifies relationships or it breaks them. But if there was already crack, cracks in the foundation that we never addressed because we ignored it, mm. well, guess what? Those cracks just got bigger. So now I feel like well, I am on my own journey, and I will continue on my own journey, and I hope the best for everyone else in their journey. So you say um, it sounds like you have a, have a good relationship with your family currently. It's interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, that's as much as I can go with that. It's interesting. Um, like I said, we just didn't address things. And again, in my opinion, we just didn't address things. I, it's like I always say, I'm like, why do we wait till it gets that bad? Because sometimes we say, well, it's not that bad. And then you compare it to other families or other relationships. And I look at it as like, I get that. We're not falling apart, but why can't we be better? Like, even if we're okay, why are we fine with okay? Hmm. At least that's how I view things with anything. I'm like, I mean, even with my own dog, like, well, she's a good dog, but I want her to be a better dog. Can she be better trained? I'm always like, why can't we be better? 
um, I don't settle with okay. I feel like especially with family, just be, I think we fall too, people fall too much with the, because they're blood, I'm going to accept everything and anything, no matter what. No, I don't. And maybe I'm looked at and being wrong for that, but I'm like, any relationship that comes into my life, I want it to be great. Mm-hmm. I want it to be healthy. I want me feed you, you feed me. But if it's not working that way, I'm just like, it's going to be rough. So it's interesting. <laughs> so you tell me about this 15-year-old in the heart of a cold city who decides <laughs> on her own she's going to seek out help. And you described this woman who goes to scuba dive, and she says, this is scary as hell, but I can do this. And when you did it, you said it was amazing. It was. <laughs> and I think about all that you could have missed out on and how your life would be different. How would your life have been different? Well, I wouldn't. Like, I'm not the type of person that would say I'd want to go back and readdress things. Mm. I... I like where I'm at. I think that everything that I've gone through has made me who I am. I don't know what I would have changed because I don't know what that would result in. Um, I am satisfied with everything I've done. I'm satisfied with all the good that I've done, and I'm satisfied that I've gone past all the bad. I just, there's no point for me in going back. Mm. So even if I didn't go to prom and say that it sucked (laughs) or any of that, um... I moved on from it. Like, I've learned to move past things that I can't do anything about now. Like, well, why is it that you've done that? Honestly, I don't know. I don't know. And I'll tell you because even with um, with my mom's passing, I it, I imagined it a whole lot different. I thought, oh my god, that's gonna trigger me into depression. I'm gonna be in my bed for like years, mm. and I generally thought I was gonna fall apart because mm. me and my mom had a very close relationship. Um, but I feel like it was quite the opposite, but I think it was because I allowed myself after we buried her, I sat on that couch (laughs) and I allowed myself to feel every feeling. I envisioned everything. I let it ride through. And now I have that catch 22. Like when I go to dance, dance class and I'm super hyper with a big smile on my face and I catch myself, I'm like, whoa. I'm so happy. And then I think of my mom. I'm like, but I'm still grieving, right? So it's like, how am I happy? But I'm like, I can only define that. Like, everyone's going to grieve differently, whatever loss, whether mm-hmm. person, job, whatever. I, I'm i still grieving, but I'm also, and I, I don't look back and be like, I wish I could bring my mom back. I mean, yes, it would be great for her to be around and listen to this podcast, <laughs> be part of it if even, but she's not. That's just the reality. I just faced the reality. She's gone, and that's what happened. And her reality of her life ending at one point is the fact that mine's going to end at one point. And hmm. guess what, Eric? I'm still here, and you're still here, and there's a lot of people that are still here. So I look at that. I'm like, I'm going to live in what I have now, good and bad. I'm going to face the bad get to the good and just deal with it i'm still living last i so much wisdom you're overpowering (laughs) me you're like a bright sun i'm like shielding my eyes from you well it's funny because you actually have brought your mom here yeah you know you brought her spirit here you brought her what she gave to what she gave to you so thanks for that 
I love the way you you describe that. It makes me think you had said something to me um, that you you know I asked you and you said I don't have all the answers for others or myself, but by doing it or something mm-hmm. about it, that's how I discover the answer. Tell me about that. Um, yeah, I mean, I always picture someone asking me like, "Well, how did you how did you recover?" And I always am like, "It's not so much like." I recovered and I'm okay. I still go through things. I don't always have the answer. Every time it's different. I may have the action plan one day and sometimes I'm like, <gasps> I'm just going to clean out my apartment. It's done. I'm over. Right? You just don't know. And honestly, I don't. I don't always have the answers. I wish I had the answers for everyone. Mm. Um, I just have to try something and discover them. And sometimes I discover that something new works for me. I used to go running mm. a lot as part of my coping now it just doesn't work for me i went running once and i'm like ugh, i feel worse Hmm. that was a shitty run i just can't (laughs) um so i get i give myself grace to just throw myself out there and try and now i I think i become more daring and taking the risk of doing something and discovering what that answer is for that moment yeah you said something about having the you said sometimes you just have to have the balls to go oh, do it. I did. I didn't want. I, I wanted you to be the one to say it, but I'll say it. Yes, but no, I mean, it's true though. Sometimes you just have to have the balls to do stuff. Um, I'm an overthinker, and sometimes I'm very careful with stuff. But sometimes I'm like, I just gotta go do it because I'm not gonna know whether I'm gonna like. I remember the first time, for example, like you know, I've been a barber for so many years, and I got invited onto this showcase. I thought they emailed the wrong person and I was like me and I was just like where did you hear once it said if someone asks you to do something you don't know how to do it just say yes and then figure it out (laughs) later I did I got on that stage and I rocked it Um, and now anytime anyone asks me to do something I'm like yes I'll figure it out later like if I mess up, what's the? No one's gonna kill me that I know of. At least I hope not. You know, <laughs> not yet. Exactly. No. Like sometimes you just gotta grab the balls and just do them. Yeah, it's the only way to find out. Well, it's that risk taking that brings the most joy in life. I, for me, I find is that if I don't take the risks, I live in the self rejection, self loathing. Why am I not doing it? Oh, I'm protecting myself. Am I, or am I just? You know, avoiding the risk because I'm afraid that the rejection will be too much or I'm afraid that uh, not being able to do it will be another failure that I'll chalk up. So, I, you know, if it, anything that I've learned from you in this time we've done this is that um, it's the word action. You, you take action and you take risk. And I think I'm going to take that away. Besides pancakes... So you're saying I'm an action figure? You are almost like a hero, <laughs> superhero action figure. Yeah, you should, you should. Uh, that should be the the gift for people who leave the podcast. <laughs> We've created your own action figure. Um, so many things I want to ask you. What I'd like to do now, just uh, sum up to me, if you could tell. Oh, a 15-year-old girl, female, person, anything. Anything that you would pass on to them. Hmm. Um, it's funny because I think of, there's a song from Pink. 
um, I think it's called Perfect or Fucking Perfect. I don't know if you've heard of it, but I think she's speaking to her 13-year-old self, and it resonated with me. The Honestly, the only thing I could say to a 15-year-old, quote-unquote, me would be, you won't know the answers, and that, you know what, deep down, it fucking sucks. I'll be honest, that's... that's because I feel like I wish someone was real with me. Um, I felt like you always get the sugar-coated answer. Like, it's going to be okay in the pat. And yeah, it is going to be okay. But I sometimes needed to hear like, wow, that sucks. Mm. And I don't have an answer for you. You might not have the answer. You'll figure it out. I know you will. But wow, that sucks. I'm sorry. Mm. So just giving her space and time and sitting with her and saying we don't have the answers but i'll sit here with you that's what i hear you saying yeah because i mean till this day i still don't have all the answers mm. but now at least i know that i will have the answers oh before you get off the couch yeah oh. before i didn't okay awesome so i'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions <laughs> are you ready for this sure you talked about um, or, uh, we haven't really fully talked about it. So before we get to that, tell us a little bit about uh, the sit in my chair. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me. Okay. Tell us. Sit in my chair. So that's a concept that I did not create. It created itself, which I think is even better. Mm. Um, like I mentioned, I am a barber. So primarily our, my, my clientele consists of men. Uh, so one of the things I learned of being a hair professional that people sit on my chair and they talk. Mm. And I remember I had a client in one of my first years of doing hair who was going through a lot and he unloaded some heavy stuff and I was exhausted. I was like, oh my God, I can't do this. I never want to see him. Yeah. No one wanted him. Yeah. But then I was kind of got empathetic. I was like, that sucks. I mean, he's going through a lot and he felt comfortable to unleash it to mm. us. Why? I don't know. But at first I tried to figure out, okay, I'm not here to figure their answer or figure out their problems, but just to listen. But how do I not carry it with me? So at first I had to figure out how do I not take it Mm. with me? Because it could be heavy. It could be exhausting. So once I figured how to not to absorb it, I learned how to sort of redirect it into something else. Like I listened, but redirect it. And then they left like in a more skipping away happy mode. That I was like, maybe I'm onto something here. But for me at the time, I was just looking at how make made it, make it easier for me to work. Mm. Eventually, um, as I built stronger relationships with my clients, I mean, my longest standing client is maybe of 13 years. I've obviously seen a lot of life events, good, bad, everything. Um, I've had divorces, loss of jobs, friends that had died to suicide, and they come in with these mm. stories and just want to talk. Mm. I don't ask them anything. And I'm like, wow, this space was created. Like, it just, they feel comfortable. Whatever it is, I, I'm i listening. Maybe I'm not judging. So I try to do it more with purpose. Mm. And now I created a private space where it's only them. It's their room only. There's no one next to us. They can share whatever they want. And we, man, some of the topics that we talk about are something's directly mental health. And I stop and I'm like, are you hearing us? This conversation's awesome right now. He's like, I know, right? And like, we yeah. just keep going. Um, so that's why, and I created this whole sit in my chair. I was like, 
if I put more emphasis on the fact that they can come in here and just talk about whatever they wanted, they end up with a good haircut. That's just inevitable, but that's the main purpose. It's just come here and talk. Both of us share. And what made it bigger was that I hear a lot that men uh, men don't share or men don't get intimate about conversations. Mm. And for me at first, I was like, yeah, they do. So I'm like, have you listened to the conversations we have? But obviously they haven't. So now I'm like, you know what? You're right. There is no space for them. I, for some reason, they felt that space there. I'm like, so now I'm trying to work on how can I create this space outside of the chair? Mm. Like, where can it be? Sit in my chair anywhere you go. Okay. So I like this idea. Where yeah. do you see it going? Oh, man. I honestly don't know at the moment. Like, I... I think just talking about it, hearing other people's idea, and coming together. Can was... you just provide this chair and bring it to my neighborhood? <laughs> it's a heavy chair. <laughs> it, it, well, we can get a way to transport it, but I like the idea of, of taking that chair places, and it becomes the conduit. You know, I, I mean, honestly, I, I've pictured. I'm very I daydream a lot. I've mm-hmm. pictured being like on a stage and having that chair and. Mm. having that space where like we're just gonna have shop talk guys like yeah, we're, yeah. we're not talking about mental health we're gonna just have shop talk let's just sit and talk and well there's something very inviting and warm and genuine about your personality mm-hmm. and that is an environment uh, tell me about so people go to bartenders and seem to want to do that people go to their barbers they seem to want to do that what is it about that environment that that creates that uh what do you think um, I think what it is is being, I call it raw and realistic hmm. or raw and real. Uh, I've worked in very different types of shops, very upscale to the neighborhood barbershop mm-hmm. where they're playing like hip hop and all that. Um, and I, I listen to the conversations and people don't hold back. There's, they're just unfiltered. Why do they do that in barbershops? I wish I had that answer. I, I think with the last barbershop I worked at, you know, I was the only female that worked there. I was the only female pretty much even client-wise. Mm. It, it was, it, I think they just felt like they were in their boys' club talking. I think they forgot that I was there at times because mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. I'm like, ooh. But, uh, <laughs> oh. Oh I learned a lot. I'll bet. <laughs> but I think they, they feel comfortable per se like with their own. But I think since I was technically not not one of their own, being a female, I think I just, you know, that's, now you got me thinking. I mean, I don't know. They, I think just me being real with my clients, I was very honest when it came to anything. Even if it was just a hair consultation, I would have some guy who's like, got only a few hairs and he's describing this whole haircut. And I'm like, my guy, no, it's just not gonna work out. But let me tell you what will. Like I was honest, but I had a solution, at yeah. least when it came to the hair. So maybe they just respected that. They felt comfortable that I was going to be honest with them regardless of what they told me. And if I had maybe nothing good to say, I didn't say anything at all. <laughs> <laughs> Are there times when you don't say anything good to some people? Yeah, sometimes in my uh, head I'm like, mm, mm. I'm just going to let them figure it out. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, there's... Uh, I, I just can imagine that... And I think about the times when I used to have hair <laughs> and uh, when I was a teenager that um, it felt good to have women working on your hair. 
Now, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I haven't thought this out. I'm just no, talking from the top I of my head. <laughs> but I also know I would go to my dad's barber shop, and it was the old boys club, right? Mm-hmm. The guys with the white shirts, and, the, and they talk, and the guys, people would go there just to talk. Yeah. They didn't go for haircuts. So there's that social aspect, and there's that aspect of no one's asking you to talk about yourself, but for some reason that has become a place where people uh, historically have just, right? Yeah. And I remember, you know, I would see my hair. I forgot I get my hair cut every two, three weeks. This is the good old days when I had. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I remember looking forward to those times. Number one, because a woman was working on my hair. <laughs> Number two, uh, you know, you look good, but also, I don't know, it's just more comfortable. Because you knew you had 15 or 20 minutes. You knew you wouldn't see them again. And you knew that you could open up about things. And I would ask some questions about girls, maybe, or something. Well, here's a question for you, because this is something I was thinking about. I was uh, on a conversation on this topic the other day. And I was like, could it be that, so normally, when we're cutting we're behind you so we're not facing mm, each other yeah so could it be that you're talking you know almost like out oh, there yeah, but yeah. you know someone's listening to, to the spirits in the sky mm-hmm. or the cosmos so i always wondered could it be that you know you know that's a good point part of it is that you're not staring at my eyes and i have to tell <laughs> you what do you do when girls say this <laughs> or i'd say something like this girl i really like so you know whatever yeah, yeah, I like, I think that, that reminds me, I haven't sat in a barber's chair and I don't know, how long, <laughs> but that's, uh, that's a really good point. It sort of opens that up. Same thing with a bartender, you know, but I haven't heard of, heard of a bartender saying, here's my stool or, or sit on my stool <laughs> like you are. I mean, you've taken this to another level. You've yeah. actually, I mean, your, your personality and your story has defined what you find valuable and what you enjoy and you seems to me like you like that yeah i think it's just because i i know the feeling of the accomplishments that i've you know had Mm. and and how i broken my own barriers Mm. and for me it's like well why can't i share that with others like why can't they have what i had so i think my creative mind just thinks of ideas i'm like oh but if we do this so it's like i find nooks and I just make them grow into something else. So, Brenda, mm-hmm. if I wanted to sit in your chair, how would I go about that? Are you accepting new patients? Patients, I said. <laughs> I know. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> You're almost a doctor to me. She's like a doctor of, of, of the soul. Not just hair. That's just a, a ruse. No. Uh, you probably do hair, but you're actually um, doing a, uh, a, a soul surgery. What's uh, how does that happen? So it no longer happens. It and no longer in happens. The, well, in the sense that I've officially closed my business to only private. Okay. Um, I, w- I stopped being public probably in t- mid twenty twenty one. You were too successful. N- not so much that I just wanted to turn the business um, idea into something different. Before it was like get as many people in, make money. Sure. Whereas I'm like, it's not about. I mean, yes, I want to make money still, but it wasn't about that only. I had built something already. I had a good steady clientele, and I wanted to cater to that clientele, not just with the uh, convenience of the appointment and the haircut, but with more to it. And there's other brewing ideas that I have with this group already that if I were to bring more people in, it would just not function. Okay. So I've closed it to a private. Got it. 
and it sounds like it's been successful and you have a list of clients that you've known for years mm -hmm. and you're comfortable with that uh, and so tell us what is your uh, what is number one what is you say I know I asked you this before but so where will we see come sit in my chair next what are you hoping that it will be I'm hoping it becomes a, an actual concept that starts going at merging into the hair industry um, where we can start I don't know if that the word training but showing different ways of being better hair professionals when it comes to listening and mm. the conversation and the rapport we have with our clients mm. um, that initiated just because in one like I have so I have been duly licensed and one of my licenses required a domestic violence training to yeah. recognize domestic violence but there was no training for anything related to like barbering and men that I was like well I think we do need that so I'm hoping that it becomes something that brings we bring into the hair industry um, benefits their client and the person behind the chair because it's both people will come with heavy stories mm. and we need to learn as hair professionals how to not like absorb it and take it with us yet how to redirect how to just listen how to be empathetic and build that relationship even stronger because i don't think barbering or hair selling is just about a haircut you could give an okay haircut but people will still come to you because they just love the whole experience it's a whole thing so i'm hoping it becomes something we can do with the industry and even kind of like you were saying taking that chair or like that quote-unquote chair yeah. to places and having open talks where men or anyone really just feel comfortable be like oh let me sit in this chair and let's just talk i love it whatever you want sign me up all right i don't even have to have hair no that's the beauty of this mm -hmm. did you tell me that some people actually don't get haircuts no not exactly i i do have i've had clients in the past tell me they're like i mean your haircut's okay <laughs> as i think but i just really enjoy coming here okay and i'm like boom because, Boom. yeah, I, I feel like Success. my training isn't just on how to hold my shears and cut. I mean, that's a big part of it. But if I, I mean, I'll be honest here. I got let go from a job because I wasn't talking to my clients. They were uncomfortable. Ah. Oh. So I had to learn to be like, uh, oh. Like, that's just, no fun for you, I'm guessing. No. Right? <laughs> they're like, you just got to be you. In the moment, again, I was just authentic and real. They appreciated it. And... Just well, that's sense. what I've appreciated most from our time together. Thank you. You are real. <laughs> you are genuine. You are very intelligent. Thank you. And you are brave and courageous. And you're a hell of a, a pancake maker. <laughs> Don't forget the waffles. <laughs> Listen, I couldn't forget the waffles, but I realized waffles are really just pouring it into a... <laughs> I thought you put all those hoes in independently. <laughs> right. You did that yourself? No. Uh, we got the... Um, uh, I, what I'm hoping to see, I um, can't wait to see what happens to sit in my chair. So we'll keep an eye out on that. So I have some questions for you. Okay. So um, in one sentence, what part of your journey do you regret? Um, how do I put that in the sentence? That's it. You just, now you can't answer it. That was your sentence. <laughs> Not really? <laughs> no. No, because I thought of it already. Not trying. Not trying. Mm -hmm. Just not trying. Does that make sense? Yep. Mm -hmm. What, again, one sentence. 
What was most surprising about your decision to seek help at 15? That I did it at 15. Agreed. What repercussions were there? Hmm. Trying to think of a sentence. Discovering things that I didn't want to, but had to. Mm. Got a whole nother podcast here, I can tell. <laughs> Who was your biggest ally at the time? Does it have to be a person? No. God. Now? Me. What song or work of art best represents your journey? I believe the song title is Rise Up or I Rise Up. I don't know who the artist is. Is your mind a friend or enemy to you? Neither, a teacher. Why do people give up, stay stuck, feel despair and misery? They don't want to face the unknown. What specific daily things do you engage in to maintain balance, emotional regulation? Prayer and working out. What didn't work? Being open about it with everyone or anyone. Mm, wow, so much <laughs> more we should say. Well, just listen for part two, people. <laughs> Favorite childhood memory? There's a few. For some reason, that in my head, I pictured... Um, so I'm the youngest of three. There's a bit of a gap, so I feel like I played on my own a lot, but I feel like that opened a door creativity. So I think in a weird way that was, in a whole, my favorite childhood memory that I was able to create, open the door of creativity for myself. I don't know. It's like, <laughs> I feel like that, that's more of an, of an answer that you would expect it. First crush. My God, my. <laughs> Is it Walter Payton from the Chicago Bears? Nice sweetness. <laughs> I could run. Best restaurant in the city. Oh man, you're asking the wrong person. There's too many. Um, best restaurant. I'm just gonna go with the family favorite home run in. Nice. <laughs> Your favorite hobby. Learning. Your go-to motto or theme of your life. I got this. That's it. That's it. Oh, nice. <laughs> awesome. Any final words? Uh, final words. 
it's, it's, it's just always the same thing. You got to find your answers and just don't give up. Keep searching for them. Um, and it's not going to be easy. Mm. It's okay. It's never, the, the harder it is, the better the reward. That is a great way to end this. So what we're going to do now, Brenda, mm-hmm. is we're going to go ahead and take 10 minutes and 10 minutes only. And you and I are going to write a song to end this show. Okay. So we'll be back in 10 minutes, everybody. Uh, Let's all breathe into the microphone. Oh, Jesus. Welcome back. So we spent some time trying to write a song. <laughs> we, we created several wonderful songs that we may release at some point. But what did we find out? It did not work for me. Okay. Let's talk about that. Well, so it's like I said, sometimes you just got to try it, figure it out, discover what works for you. And sometimes you figure out what doesn't work for you. Uh-huh. And it took some time. You it did. Took, it was a lot more than 10 minutes. Yes. I don't, people don't know, but we were gone for about seven hours. This <laughs> is Monday already. Yeah. No, yeah, it, it took it took a while. I think I, I honestly, I really was trying to get it, but mm-hmm. I just wasn't vibing. I can't go with something I'm not vibing with. So. Yeah, there was a lot of yawning and <laughs> eye rolling, and I was like, I'm trying Walking my away. best. Yeah, yeah. So what did we come up with? Walking away was my best, was the best part. <laughs> come back. <laughs> and not, I came back. You did. Thank you. <laughs> thanks for showing up and thanks for not leaving. <laughs> so what are we, what are we going to do? Well, how'd you like to end it? Um, how would I like to end it? I mean, I think overall, like I'm very visual and I did like the idea of the song. So during that process, I, you know, I, I thought of two songs that kind of always grasped me. Um, okay. I think it was once I heard the lyrics to them and the music kind of just connected and it reminded me of two different stages of my life. My, the young, the younger me where I was lost and confused and full of hurt. Um, and the more, what would I say? I guess fighter in me of, I'm always going to come on top. Mm. So I don't know. Lay, Lay it on us. What was, what are those songs? The first song is um, is by Pink, um, and I kept getting the name wrong, but I think it's uh, Nobody Knows. Um, it's it's a it's a very it starts off very slow. She has a great voice to goes with it, but her lyrics are just very real. Mm. Um, she talks about you know like being in her room and crying, but pretending she's not, and it just resonated with me because I'm like. Yeah, I think I did that a lot. I'd hide in rooms and I cried and I cried in silence really loud, if mm. that makes sense. Um, and just like the title of the song, nobody knew. Nobody knew but me. And the other song that now when I hear it, like they both bring emotions to me. But um, the other song, I, I think it's Andra Day, Rise Up. Mm. The, the beat to it, it's just like, it feels like your heartbeat going like faster when you're doing something that excites you. But when she's talking about, she's like, even when I feel like I'm broken, I rise up. And sometimes that's how I feel like when I'm in that hole and I'm trying to get myself out of it. It's like, Brenna, you're gonna do this no matter what. 
you're gonna rise up and i might not always say those words but that song brings that type of emotion out during those moments so when you listen do you listen to those songs now with that with a different sort of perspective or so when i first heard the the song from pink nobody knows at first i was like oh my god this is my song this is how i feel this is who i am mm. And I would always cry, I'd close my eyes, and I'd picture I was singing it. Mm. I was on stage, and I was singing it, playing mm. the piano, just mm. putting all my emotion. And everybody I knew was in the audience. And everybody was like, oh, because nobody knew, and now they know. Mm. Um, now when I hear that song, I'm like, I still feel that emotion not as strong. Um, and now I, pic- I still picture myself singing it, playing the piano with the people I know in the audience. But more like now everybody knows and they're like, yeah, that that that's her feelings. That's what she felt. And that's what sometimes she still feels. But now after that song, I pop up on stage and I rise up and I have Mm. that other song and everybody's just going with it. Like, Mm. "Mm -hmm, yep, that that's that's Brenda. The, The Brenda's a girl who has pain, goes through these moments, but she rises up. So now it's like. Those two songs, somehow I wish I could merge together. Maybe maybe one day I will create my own song mm. in the combination, and I'll, come, I'll be back <laughs> with that one. When you have that song, yeah. you, have, uh, you can sit in my chair. <laughs> there you go. And you, you can go. do it. Yes. We'd love to have you back. Thanks so much for coming. It's beautiful. <laughs> thank you. You're a beautiful person, and you had uh, a beautiful way of telling that. So thank you so much, and we look forward to sitting in your chair <laughs> in the future. Thank you. Her to say every day and every way she rides the wave. And if I could, when I could, if I should work as hard, I'll get the same as her. If only I could find the key to set me free, then I would fly high up in in the sky with her. I would be so free. You and me, all of us, take a ride with Brenda B. And don't you see, she's got the answer, there's no key. It's locked within us, and there's this thing that sets us free. If only we would look that hard and see. Like Brenda B. Like Brenda B.